So, so today, uh, we're going to talk about how to make a difference. And I think that's kind of a timely uh, topic for us. You know, look, we all agree we live in a troubled time. Can we all agree on that? Uh, the, the world is troubled. The country's troubled. Uh, you know, over the last decade or so in this country, for sure, man, we have become politically divided. Okay? We have become politically divided. We become economically divided. We become spiritually divided. I mean, in fact, it's almost hard to find people who will agree on anything. So, you know, on, on top of that, with all of that stuff going on, can we also all agree this has been about the craziest year most of us have ever had? I mean, COVID-19 has changed, like, everything about our lives. Um, you know, our routines have been disrupted. Um, man, you know, we've been physically, uh, you know, distanced, and we've been isolated, and, um, you know, then we, then we think, well, I'll watch TV. Well, that doesn't help. Uh, because, you know, or read the newspapers and, and whatever we watch or whatever we get is conflicting information, conflicting reports. On top of all that, if our leaders, people who are responsible for our, you know, for our country and for our cities, and, you know, if our leaders do anything, if they do anything, they're going to be criticized by some group, either because they did the wrong thing, or they did too much of something, or they didn't do enough of something. And if they do nothing, then they get criticized by everybody. Think about it. If anybody steps up, if anybody steps up and says that they're willing to serve in an elected leadership position, whether it's to serve as president of the United States or as a member of a local city council or school board, anywhere in between, there's always an opposition group. There's always an opposition group to them. And, and here's the real challenge, is that that opposition group these days doesn't just want to challenge them on their issues or the beliefs about what it is they would do. The opposition group actually looks to destroy them personally. So when you really think about it, why would anyone want to serve in any type of leadership role today. Why would anybody do it? They get a lot of grief, very little appreciation, and very little support. Yet, God still calls and appoints people to take on these types of roles. Oftentimes, the people God calls, though, don't fit the mold we have in mind. They don't fit the mold we have in mind. And so that only adds to the challenge and, and adds to the conflict about how we're inclined to feel about them. So today, we're going to continue our series called The God Field. And we're going to see that Paul tackles this issue, this issue, and how God instructs each of us to act toward all those in leadership roles whether they were a candidate or not. So, let's look at the Word of God. Today it's Romans 13. We're going to read all of it. That's verses 1 to 14. So if you've got your Bibles here, get them out. The words will be up there, but there's nothing like opening God's Word for yourself. If you're at home, uh, glad you're joining us today. Uh, I hope you've got your Bibles out and 
Join us in the New Testament. It's Romans chapter 13. We're going to read all 14 verses. So Paul starts out writing, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers do not hold terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt of love to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be, are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because your salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. You know, verse 1, he starts out right there and he says, be subject. He says, we're supposed to submit. The Greek word that's used there is called is hypotasso. And I only do this to say because when the definition of that word means the appropriate response of people who recognize their place in hierarchical order. People, it's, the, it's the appropriate response when you understand your position in a hierarchical order. And that's really just our first problem because most of us as humans are independent by nature and we kind of ruffle at the term submit. So this passage becomes difficult for most of us right from the very first of being told that we're supposed to do that. Second, Paul makes it even more difficult to hear and accept because he goes on to say we're supposed to submit to the governing authorities, which means these days that there's probably not at least half the company, at it, uh, half of the country at any given time that doesn't think they should have to. 
And just when you think this verse couldn't get any harder to accept, Paul clearly states that there is no authority, no authority, except that which God has established. He goes on to say the authorities that exist have been established by God. Now, there's some topics that we cover in life that come up and we look for scriptural uh, information to know how we should feel. And sometimes we like to say, well, I couldn't find a verse that really said it plainly. So I'm not really sure. I guess I'll use some judgment here. Well, folks, I hate to tell you, but this one's really plain. God has said this, given this to us crystal clear. There is no authority that has been established that it was not established by God. And we are called to submit to them. So here's the deal. That statement is true. It's true right now, today, regarding everyone in governmental leadership roles. Whether it's the president, the governor, your community's mayor, your community's city council, or your community's school board. And it's still going to be true on the day after the November elections. And it will still be true in January when someone gets sworn in to be the next president of the United States and a new Congress convenes. There's no doubt. I'm confident whether you're here or you're watching, some of you, when I was reading this passage, they got to be thinking to yourself, but that was written a long time ago. Surely, Paul, if he had had any idea what we're going through today, he wouldn't have said that. I mean, even on his worst day, he surely didn't envision the times we're living in. So can this command from God still, you know, can, can God really expect us to still live this way today? Well, let's be clear on something else. Paul actually understood our times very well. Very well. He understood our current situation and our political climate completely. Think about it. Paul wrote the book of Romans with the knowledge of the reality that the current government over him, and that was the emperor Nero, was free to take the life of anyone he wanted for any reason at any moment. No court. No, no, no judge. Just Nero said it, you're dead. And that's not new. Israel, years before, right? Israel had witnessed the ruthless governing of Herod, murdering all the male children, two years of age or younger, in an attempt to kill the baby Jesus. Thirty years after that, Herod's son, Herod Antipas, as part of a birthday celebration, gave in and had John the Baptist beheaded. About 20 years after that, in 54 AD, then is when Nero, the guy we just talked about, became emperor. He's emperor while Paul is writing Romans. And in case you've never really studied about Nero, this was one violent, evil leader. I mean, untouched by anybody today. This guy had his own mother, later his wife. Many historians believe that it was Nero that ordered Rome to be set on fire. And then he blamed the Christians. 
which then brought on a great deal of persecution for them. And in fact, we all know it was Nero that eventually took the lives of the apostles Peter and Paul. So Paul's statement in verse 1 that no other exist except those which God has established is not some naive pie-in-the-sky kind of statement. This is made by a guy who's living in it. Paul meant it for the people of his day and under those conditions, and he meant it for us today as well. God's expectation of our submission to even unlawful pagan rulers goes way back. Goes way back. A long time before Paul, Daniel had been taken captive into Babylon. And he spoke of God's sovereignty over Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was a completely pagan ruler. Nothing godly about the man. When Daniel wrote in Daniel 2.21, he said, God changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises others up. Later in Daniel 4.17, he wrote, The Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth, and he gives them to anyone he wishes. Both Daniel and Paul are making clear that the sovereign God of the universe is very much active and involved in the affairs of mankind. He was back then. He still is today. King David even recognized this. In Psalm 75, verses 6 and 7, King David wrote, No one from the east or west or from the desert can, can exalt themselves. It is God who judges. He brings one down. He exalts another. Even Jesus, in John 19, 11, said to those in charge of ordering his execution, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. God's word's clear. The governing authorities are established by God. We're expected to submit to them. Verse 2 goes on to explain the consequences of rejecting God's established authorities. The governing authorities, it says in verse 2, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And as a result, brings judgment on themselves. Here's the deal. Governing authorities are humans. They're human beings. They're just folks. They're people. Just like us. And that means they're not perfect. That means they make mistakes. That means they make bad decisions sometimes. Still, that gives us no excuse for rebellion. And those who do will, doesn't say maybe, doesn't say might, doesn't say it depends on whether it was your candidate or not. It says those who do so, those who rebel, will bring judgment on themselves. 1 Samuel 15.23 says that rebellion is as serious, this is the Amplified, says rebellion is as serious as the sin of witchcraft and as false religion and idolatry. Verse 4 that we read goes on to say that the one in authority is God's for your good. How about that? 
God's servant, the one in authority, is positioned there for your good. That means no matter who they are or what political party they represent. That also clarifies one other thing, and that means that those leaders that God has placed in authority have accountability before God. They have accountability before God, and they will be held accountable for their actions and decisions. The question will be, just like the scripture says, did they work for the good of those they were placed in responsibility over? Those they represent. Remember this, God is sovereign over all those in leadership roles and over us. So, now that we understand the facts, now that we understand the process that God uses and the expectations that he's established for us and for our leaders, I think the logical question for us to ask, especially right now at this time in these days, and we have an election here, and everybody's concerned about that, is to say, well, then what is my role, right? What is my role? And, and maybe even more to the point, what, what can I do, right? What can you do? What can we do uh, to make a difference in our community? What can we do? What are some things you think that we could do that would make a difference in our community? Vote. What else? Honor and respect our leadership. Reach out to the lost. Serve in some capacity. Serve in some capacity. There are, it's easy to sit on the sidelines and criticize. That takes no effort. What takes effort is commitment to actually try to help, to, to try to make a difference. So some things we can do. Well, the, one of the first things we could do, and I would suggest it's maybe the most important, is pray for our leaders. We should pray for our leaders. Okay, I want to give you a really radical idea here. Okay, I want you to get ready because this is going to be pretty, pretty out there, pretty radical. What if all the Christians... I didn't say the whole of the world. I just said all the Christians. People who profess to be followers of Jesus stopped hating the other side. Stopped disparaging the other side. Stopped being critical outwardly. Stopped slandering those they disagree with. And started praying for them daily. What if just that happened? What do you think might happen? What do you think might happen? What do you think might happen if that were to take place? God could change their hearts. Yeah, I mean, really, what if all the followers of Jesus, no matter what political party they preferred, because trust me, God does not belong to either the red one or the blue one or some green or some other color. God does not belong. He's not affiliated with that. God is God. 
It's not, it's not our deal to try and appropriate him to join some political party or opinion we have. It's our job to line up with his word. Okay? So, what if we were just to do what his word said? What if really, if all the followers of Jesus, no matter what political party they preferred, would begin to pray for everyone in public office at the federal, state, and local level? What if we started praying for them daily? What if we actually made that a priority in our lives? What if we actually said, that's not something I'm going to talk about or something I'm going to say that, oh, yeah, that's what we should do. You know, one of the challenges I think all of us have is it's really easy to say, oh, yeah, we should pray for all these people, but, but then we don't, you know, me, myself, do I. I just want to, you know, say we. Okay. What if I did that every day? What if you did that, you did that, you did that? What if you actually made time and said, on my little list of all the things I'd like to see God to do, one of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for all of those in leadership over me. What if you did that? Look, I'm, I mean, let me give you one other thing. What if, what if just the believers, I'm only talking about people who claim to be followers of Jesus. What if we just tried to help those in elected office? What if we actually tried to help them succeed? What if we just try to help them succeed? Since the Bible calls them servants for our good, how do you think God might respond to that type of behavior from his own church? That level of obedience. What do you think God might do in the lives of those elected officials if just the church obeyed what God's word calls for us to do. Remember, I'm not suggesting that everybody out there, all those people, have to do this. I'm just talking about the church. I'm just talking about people who profess to be followers of Jesus. Why would we do that? Well, one great verse to give us guidance is Proverbs 21.1. It says, and explains why this is important, it says that the king's heart those leaders, those rulers over us, the king's heart is in the Lord's hand and he directs it like a water course wherever he pleases. Do you think that God can take even the most pagan of rulers, most pagan of ungodly leaders and change their hearts and direct their hearts in a way they don't, didn't even plan? The first way for you to make a difference is to pray for your leaders. Look, you can do that at home for sure. You can do that at home every day for sure. You can also do that by joining our Zoom prayer time on Saturday morning, October 10th at 9 a.m. You can do that by joining us every Sunday morning at 9.15 back here in the conference room. You know, we all talk about prayer being important, but we don't always act that way. Okay, and I'm just being real... This is one of those messages that's got a little bit of, you know, truth to it here today, okay? We talk about praying, we don't always do it. We talk about our, our country needs prayer, but do you, you know, do I? It's not, okay, do you actually do it? Okay, do you actually do it? If we're not, then we are not being obedient to God's word. If you really believe prayer is such an important tool, use it. Use it. 
Pray for the president. And, and what I'm really getting here is pr- you can pray for all of them, but I'm talking about, remember, the, it says here you're God's authorities over you. I mean, so where Paul was talking about Nero, Nero was the emperor of Rome, and that's where Paul was. Pa- Paul didn't, I mean, he's talking about all the leaders, but I want to encourage you when you pray, pray for those. Remember it said it was hypotasso, that, that when people understand their relationship in their hierarchical order? Well, okay, I can pray for every member of the Senate. But who I really need to pray for are the senators from Minnesota, because that's where I live. Do you see what I'm getting at? I I need to pray for the the, the ones in my hierarchy, the ones who are directly. I need to pray for for the mayor of my city. I need to pray for the city council of my city. I need to pray for the school board of my city. I need to pray for the senators, the, the, the governor of our state. That is all of us then, right? You know, do you see what I'm getting at? You need to pray. Let's pray for all of them, but let's specifically pray for those that are your hierarchy because that's what I think God really is. is it ensures that these people get prayer. Claim them for the kingdom of God. Claim them. We talk about praying for people that aren't saved to find Jesus, right? Well, you know, there are folks in their government who are finding the Lord every day. But, but, we need to pray for them. Claim them for the kingdom of God. Pray that God would surround them with godly influences. You know, sometimes we talk about our family members and we say, man, let's pray that my kid who needs to come back to Jesus, that God would give him some new friends that would be a better influence. Well, you know what? Maybe there's some of our elected representatives that need new friends too. Let's, let's pray that God would surround them with some new friends that might actually encourage them. Not, not beat up on them. That doesn't, whoever got, got called into, you know, whoever really found Jesus because somebody beat up on them. Right? Most of us found the Lord because somebody loved us. Somebody cared about us. Somebody talked to us. Somebody put up with all our baloney while we were moving towards Jesus. Well, you know what? Maybe some of our elected officials, we need to give them a little grace and pray that God would surround them with some folks that would just be a great influence on their lives to help them move at least a step closer to knowing the Lord. Pray that God would give them a hunger for His Word. Just pray that, that they would just think, man, I don't know, maybe I used to read the Bible when I was a kid. Maybe I ought to pick that thing up again. You know, I mean, just pray that God would give them a hunger for His Word. Pray, we could pray for our elected officials that they would be open to hear the voice of God. That they would be open to hear it and they would listen. And for sure, we should be praying for all of them. Again, I don't care what party they belong to. If they're there, they're going to make decisions that affect me. Reds and blues make decisions that affect you and me. I don't care what color you are. It, do you understand what I'm saying? They, they are going to make decisions that will affect you. So we need to pray for them that God would grant them wisdom. Remember, we're not as believers. If we really want to play the role and live the role that God's called us, we're not in to gotcha. We're not trying to make them fail so that we can say, gotcha. We're trying, God, we've been called to pray for them. If, if they are there by, because of God's placing them there, then we should want them to succeed. 
Because when, when they make wise decisions, who benefits? We all do. When they make foolish decisions, who suffers? We all do. Doesn't matter whether it was somebody in your party or not that made the good or the bad decision. We all breathe the same air. We all suffer, you know, we all enjoy the benefit or the problem from whatever happens. So, we need to pray that God would grant them wisdom when they make decisions. And you know the other thing we can do? We can pray prophetically. We can just pray something like, and thank God for calling and appointing godly leaders. Thank Him for doing that. So that's the first thing, is you can, we can pray for our leaders, like really do it. Second thing, we should give leaders the respect due their office. Give our leaders the respect due their office. Verse 7 said, give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe them taxes, pay taxes. If you owe them revenue, give them revenue. If, you, if they are owed respect, give them respect. If honor, then honor. We are called to respect and honor even those folks that we don't really like that are in office, in a leadership role. Remember, Paul also wrote in Ephesians, it's Ephesians 6.12. Remember, he said, our battle isn't against flesh and blood. And that means people. Our battle's not against people, but it's against rulers, authorities, and against powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul challenges to put on the full armor of God and wage war with prayer while at the same time giving our leaders the honor and the respect that they are due. Fact is, those in governmental authority are far more likely to listen favorably to someone who is approaching them humbly and respectfully. I don't know about you, but I don't really like listening to someone who's yelling at me. And they don't either. Additionally, in verse 8, Paul reminds us that we are to love one another. We're to love one another. And that means all of us here for each other. But love one another means love one another, including our leaders, those in authority. Finally, the third way to make a difference in your community, and somebody said this earlier, is get involved in the process. Get involved in the process. What's the number one way to get involved? Vote. Vote. You know, I don't know the right number, okay? I've heard all kinds of different numbers, but I've heard some pretty huge numbers that just about the last election of, of people who said they were Christian people, born-again Christian people, followers of Jesus, who did not vote in the last election. Folks, that's not right. I mean, let's just be plain and simple. Let's not kid ourselves. If you think that you shouldn't vote out of some kind of, I don't, I don't even give you are called. God has, it's, it says very clear that God has established leaders who have authority at every level, but he has given us an opportunity to participate in the process. And the number one way he has given us to participate is to vote. So if you don't vote, you have, you have not obeyed and followed 
the opportunity that God has given you to participate. This is our opportunity to influence the system for good. Additionally, our, with our vote, is think about it. When we vote, this is our way, this is your way of holding those leaders accountable for did they work for the good of those they represent. Real, vote them in, re-elect them, vote them out. This is your way, and here's the beauty of it when you vote. You are holding them accountable without sacrificing respect or submission to their authority. You are, you are participating and holding them accountable in a way that God honors. God may call some of us to get direct, more directly involved in the political arena. And if he does, we should listen. But be clear, nothing good will come from it if it's done so disrespectfully or dishonorably. Okay. Pretty clear. So, get ready to close here. I think anyone who's more than five minutes old uh, knows there's some things that uh, go on with our political system that are not good. And as always, one side just blames the other uh, for either creating or perpetuating the problem. And, you know, that, that, that behavior's been going on long before any of us were born. That's been going on forever. People get very upset about why things don't change for the better. And in parenthesis, that means the way they think they ought to be. May not be God's plan. And they normally blame whoever's currently in charge, whether that person created or inherited the issues. Doesn't matter which side. But here's the deal, and here's what's encouraging. God's word is superior to the political arena. God's word is superior. God's plans are superior to any governmental leader's plans. So that leaves only one path for change to occur. There's really, if we want to see change in this country, there's only one path to get there. Clearly outlined in a verse that many of us know but let's make sure we're applying it appropriately, and that's 2 Chronicles 7.14. It says, if my people, now I only want to stop again because it's so easy for us sometimes to think that the people that are causing all the problems in this country are those awful sinners out somewhere, when what God says, if you want change, he's talking to the church, he's talking to my people, people who say, I am a follower of Jesus. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. And here's what you are waiting for. I will heal their land. If we want to see our land healed, Change actually begins with us. It begins with those who say they are followers of Jesus. It begins with us doing just what this verse says, humbling ourselves. Humbling ourselves. 
and repenting of the sin. Some of that may have been lack of respect for leaders. Some of it may have been slanderous comments. Some of it may have been not being obedient to God's word. But if we want to affect change in the land, this is the verse that will lead us there. Begins with, if my people. So stand with me as we get ready to close, if you will. Whether you're here today or you're watching online, I just got, I just have one very simple question. Are you willing, are you willing to put aside all the political acrimony, put aside all the political differences, put aside all of the issues of red versus blue versus whatever, are you willing to put all that aside? And are you willing to follow the direction of this passage? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and heal their land. If you are willing to follow that and put it into practice starting today, raise your hand. Okay, I hope at home you've responded as well. I trust you have. Lord, today you've seen our hands. Father, today we, we are just putting a stake in the ground, Lord. Maybe it's just a reminder. Maybe it's the first time. But Lord, we are putting a stake in the ground. Father, that your word and your plans are superior to man's, but that, Lord, we want to live lives consistent with your word. So, Lord, today we humble ourselves before you. And we ask you, Father, to forgive us of the thoughts we've had, the words we've said, the things, Lord, that have been dishonoring to our leaders. Lord, that we, when we haven't tried to help them succeed, but Lord, today, we commit to pray for them. Lord, we commit to pray for them. We commit, Lord, to looking for ways to try and help them to be successful. Because they're there for our good. And Lord, we, uh, we commit to participating in the process. And, and so, Father, now we want to thank you for what you're going to do in each of our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.